Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. My name is David Chen, and with me today are Devendra Hardwar and Jeff Ganada. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today on the podcast, we got some what we've been watching to share with you. We got some weekly plugs to share with you. And then we're moving into an in-depth review. This week, we'll be reviewing Kajillionaire, the new film by Miranda July that's out right now for rental on streaming platforms. Um, and yeah, Angie Han from Mashable is going to be joining us for that review. It is going to be a great time, a great discussion. So I look forward to it. But in the meantime, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. You can also back our Patreon at patreon.com slash film podcast. Boy, guys, we've been doing that Patreon for a couple weeks now, uh, putting out some After Darks, and I really loved uh, the reaction. There's a little bit of a community growing there. We are at so close to 1,000. It's so cl- It's so tantalizingly close. close. We're tantalizingly like 40 close. people away from 1,000 patrons. You can make it happen at, you can make it happen at patreon.com slash film podcast. And of course, thanks so much to all the patrons uh, that have already contributed. 1,000 would be like a, such a cool uh, mark cool to number. Almost. Yes, almost. It would be a, it would yeah. be a very cool, completely <laughs> arbitrary number to hit that has absolutely yes. no no embarrassing whatsoever. stretch goals that we're talking about here, right? Yeah, nothing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, but before we begin the podcast today, can I get a little bit serious with you guys no. uh, for a second? No, is that is that no? I mean, yeah. it's, okay, that's fair. That's fair. Look at the world. Um, <laughs> I I just wanted to give a quick public service announcement, which is that. Uh, we are in for a very uh, bleak winter up ahead, as far as I can tell. Um, according to the New York Times, uh, yesterday there were at least 623 new coronavirus deaths and 135,000 new cases reported in the United States. Uh, and I, I bring this up because this is the time of year where people are thinking of, tra- like millions of people are thinking of traveling to be with loved ones. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, and I think, Here's my guess. There's some people out there listening um, who are not going to travel, right? Like they've already decided it's not a good idea. Um, it's not safe right now. Um, it's not the compassionate thing to do right now. Great. Uh, we we completely support what you've decided and what you're doing. Uh, and then on the other side, there's people who are like, you know, are fast forwarding furiously past this part of the podcast because they don't want to hear us talk about things that are happening in the world that aren't movies. And that's fine. Like this isn't for, this message is not for you, obviously. Uh, this message is for the people who are in between those two sec- segments, right? Which is people who are kind of still thinking about whether or not to travel for Thanksgiving. They're getting a lot of pressure from their family to travel for Thanksgiving. Uh, and they're saying like, hey, let's all get together. Like the coronavirus is not real, blah, blah, blah. It's not a big deal. Um, my encouragement to those people out there is... Do not travel for Thanksgiving or do what you feel is the safest. Um, do not give in to peer pressure uh, to put the lives of your friends and family in danger by traveling and uh, having a long extended meal inside without masks on. I think um, it's a bad idea right now. So I wanted to check in with you guys to see what y'all are doing. I think there are a number of Thanksgiving alternatives sure. that are very possible, right? I mean, So, so what we're yeah. saying is... If you're under extreme pressure from your family and you're having a difficult time deciding, allow this film podcast yes. to be the thing. Yes. This is the thing that tips you over. We will save your, your life. This yeah. is your lodestar uh, telling you which direction to go. Yeah. And you know what? Honestly, if your family gives you gr- gruff, 
Grief, whatever the word is. Guff? Guff, I guff? think. I went guff and grief at the same time. Yeah, nice. If nice. they give you gruff, just play the podcast for yeah, them. Yeah, just play say, the uh, podcast for them. Obviously, this is going to be hugely convincing to them. So, and, and if, yeah, they, if yeah. they still give you gruff, <laughs> well, then you can tell your, your family that uh, you're a patron of this podcast. And, you know, you, you yeah, can that's really really gonna put quite, them, push them over the top. I think that's going to alarm them more, Jeff, if they say <laughs> something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I, so I will say that I've already said to my parents that we, like they live about 30 minutes away from me. And I've already said right, to them, like, right. we're not spending Thanksgiving together this year. Um, and we've, we've spent Thanksgiving together basically every year for my entire life. Uh, we can pause for one year and not feel like, you know, we're not a family anymore. You know, like it's more important to me that my family is around for a really long time. And with promising uh, trials of a vaccine, not, you know, nothing certain or anything, but it's very promising. It's more more important now than ever that we prevent unnecessary death. Just get through so, the home stretch. Yeah. Yes. We're in. The, it's I think uh, John Barry. A, Don't go uh, home for the home stretch. You know what yes, I'm saying? That's true. <laughs> A listener Stay at your home. Yeah. <laughs> a listener to the podcast, uh, John Barry, and a patron, uh, actually put this really well in an analogy. Uh, he said it's it's like this whole time we've been running a marathon and we didn't we didn't know how long the marathon was. And right, we've right, just right. been told we're on mile nineteen, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's like, oh, now like we can see like potentially maybe the end might be in sight. Um, that is not a time to give up. Well, but, it, yeah. you can stretch the analogy further and say that when we started, we were told it was a sprint mm-hmm. and we all, a lot of us thought it would be a sprint. And then yeah. it, it, midway through, you're, you're like, you're booking it through mile two, you know, and then <laughs> everybody's like, like well, no, sprint is going on for a while. Man. This is really uh, longer than most sprints, you know? Yeah, and then yeah. at a certain point they went, oh yeah, no, um, all the people who were in charge of putting the finish line uh, on uh, just didn't do it. And uh, actually, they did nothing. In fact, they told you that there shouldn't even be a finish line. There, there, there's no, no such thing. Uh, so it's a marathon now. And in fact, it's uh, it's such a marathon that we also don't know when that marathon's going to end. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, things... Uh, I understand the fatigue. I understand the stress. I understand the, the people are like, I just I want to be done with this. Yeah, but we are. We all we are, want to be done with this. Yeah. yeah, we are. We we looped back around to the beginning of the marathon is the problem. We're we're in worse shape now than when we started, and yeah. that's yeah. that's not that's not an exaggeration. Well, you know, Jeff, that was a pretty strange analogy, but I think you nailed it. <laughs> I think you nailed it. So anyway, uh, there are some things that uh, one can do. Like, I, I mean, I'll say, like, even for us, we are, uh, you know, basically. Case counts are spir- like skyrocketing, uh, skyrocketing right now. Hospitalizations yeah. are going way up, and it is there worse is- than it was at the beginning. Like not to stress, right. like we need to stress that as bad as things were in March, it is significantly worse now. So, well, and yeah. and the thing is, th- those case counts and hospitalizations are a lagging indicator of how yeah. bad it is. So that basically, the case counts and the hospital stuff is a result of what happened two weeks ago, right? And in uh, in December. Right when millions of people travel to be with each other for Thanksgiving, it's just going to be even more horrifying, and I feel like exponential compared to what it is now. So, uh, so for us personally, we're like basically like locked down, like not leaving the house 
um, eating food out of the like that we've stored in the freezer pretty much. Mm -hmm. That said, um, there are ways to do kind of some version of Thanksgiving without physically being together in a small enclosed space with family. Um, that is uh, is possible, right? Like one idea, Devendra, you and I were talking about this before the podcast is, uh, and, and I say, I gave that whole preamble to say like, I'm not necessarily going to be doing these things because I'm being ultra careful, but I think like these are reasonable things you could do. Right. Um, is uh, you, you could- You were doing the tightest lockdown. Yeah. Correct, correct. But you could like uh, trade food with each other, you know, like mm -hmm. kind of do like a, a Friendsgiving where you kind of like drop off food at each other's houses and then like eat it together on Zoom. Or if you don't even want to risk that, like you could trade recipes or something, mm -hmm. like that, you know? Yeah, I, um, I feel like that's that's perfectly reasonable. And, you know, things are looking, living through the pandemic is very different where I am in Georgia, which is just suburbia um, compared to being in the middle of New York City. So your situation, you know, it's going to depend on where you are, but that is pretty much my plan. Like I, I like, the Thanksgiving and holiday ritual of making a lot of food and sharing it with my family. And I assume a lot of us do too. There are other ways you can do that. I plan to just, you know, I'll probably do the Turkey thing. My wife will make some stuff. We will drive and drop it off in front of my brother's apartment and take it to my parents' house and just drop it off and we'll trade food with them. And then, yeah, we'll all get together on Thanksgiving day or zoom or something and just eat it together that is the safest thing you can do right now. Um, I do want to talk to, I'm sure there are people who maybe took a little more relaxed stance about things. Like I, I know a lot of people who are concerned, but also have been doing things like meeting other people in the park, you know, or, you know, just going out a little more because it seemed like things were getting better over the summer. This is just the point where you kind of have to batten down the hatches because it's worse again. So we got to do everything we were doing in March. So I want to hammer that home, you know, to our listeners. Um, if you have family who are still, who have to go into work or who have to go into offices, you know, just do your best to, you know, protect them, maybe convince them to, to take, take a little bit of a break. Um, that's all the tough things we're dealing with right now. Like right now, my mom is still working in an office and she doesn't even have to, but she's a, she's a stubborn lady. So I, I have to like yeah, really, really break this down. And I'm like, well, you're same, not seeing same. your granddaughter for a while, for a yeah. very long time. And yeah, that's I just kind of that... what we have to do. It sucks, but this, you gotta, we, we have to survive this to actually live next year. Yeah. I think that that might be the only um, hard part about what we're saying is that we may be um, under appreciating how difficult this is for people. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is, uh, this is going to be the first year of my life that I won't be in the same room as my dad for a year. You know, like I've, I've never lived a year of my life where I haven't been in the same room as my dad. Uh, but I'm going to go a whole year uh, where that happens. It's fucked up and sad to me. And my dad and his wife really get it. And all, all my family does, but it it is a truly difficult Thing yeah. to tell grandparents they can't see their grandkids on the holidays. Uh, I don't know how it is for you guys, but I, for my family, it is, it, 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 it's like the worst thing you can do to my mom. I mean, it is, she would gladly die <laughs> to mm -hmm. see her kids on, you know, and her grandkids on Christmas. I, I, you know, I'm being hyperbolic a bit, but it, it is, it's very, very, very emotionally heart-wrenching uh to say 
no, you can't. Um, and I don't think, I don't want to present a, yeah, I think it's the right thing to do, but I don't want to present it as if it is some sort of easy decision to make because it is, it is really not. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry if, uh, that was what I was conveying. I, I agree with you. It is difficult. And, you know, I think I opened this segment by saying like, there's people out there who feel like a lot of pressure right now to, to do things that they feel are unsafe. This is something I've heard from a lot of my friends is that they, they are feeling pressure from family and friends to do things that they feel are unsafe. Everyone wants to be with their friends and family right now. Everyone wants to spend time with their friends and family right now. It is not about desire. It is about wanting to do what is right and safe and best mm -hmm. for lo our long-term health and survival. And so it is difficult. And I just, I just wanted people to know people who are struggling with this. Cause it, it you know, Jeff, you're joking about how, obviously if you're taking your health advice from a film podcast uh something is really wrong and i don't necessarily disagree with that yeah. but i think but that have you looked at the world lately you know <laughs> but i i think that um a lot of people including myself have found this time period uh profoundly isolating and um just feeling like they're making all these decisions by themselves you were talking about this in a recent after dark jeff about how you feel like you're the only person who actually is reading the news and paying attention to things and um i just wanted people to know as we begin this episode of the podcast, uh, that you are not alone, uh, that at, at least the three of us talking to you from our microphones scattered across the country, we're with you. We understand how difficult it is for you. And we encourage you to keep going because we are almost at the end of that marathon. And it is so important right now more than ever. So that's all. Yeah, uh, I agree and with also that. if you if you can safely, please get your flu shots because that will mean a lot actually. Hmm. So there there are ways to do that. There are safe like even some places have drive drive through things or clinics that try to be safe. I guess now things are maybe a little too late, but man, if you have an opportunity, if you have a place to do it safely, like that is actually a very useful thing because it protects you moving forward throughout this flu season and it also keeps hospitals you know a little freer which is what we really need to be well be safe be healthy um thanks for listening uh let's get to the rest of the podcast all right let's talk about what we've been watching this week i will open by talking about uh something i've been working on for my personal patreon page at patreon.com slash dave chen which is i'm planning to do a back to the future retrospective and it is uh, the 35th anniversary, I think, of the Back to the Future movies. Uh -huh. um, it's been like 35 years since 1985, which is when you know the, the first movie was set. Universal, recent, or I don't know if it's Universal, but um, a company recently released the 4K Blu-ray. I, I don't know who has the home video rights. A, a company like, that just, yeah, all of a sudden decided to release Back to the Future 4K. Well, yeah, I'm sure. saying uh, Universal made the movie, but I don't know yeah, if they yeah. have the home video rights. But anyway... Yeah. Uh, a company just released Back to the Future on home video, uh, 4K UHD, which I purchased. And I had a chance to watch it with um, uh, my wife and also uh, our friend Carter, who's in our COVID bubble. She lives next door and we kind of have a, have a quarantine pod together. Uh, it was her first time watching Back to the Future. Um, and so oh, it was man. great, great to That's experience amazing. it. Great to experience it with uh, somebody who has never seen it before. And I'll just, I just want to throw out a couple quick observations about Back to the Future because, um, you know, we've already was talked she, about it. Just real quick, though, I'm just curious. Was she trapped under something for a long period of time? Or? <laughs> Did no, she know the think, whole movie, like, without even seeing it? Yeah, because I actually, I tweeted, like I actually yeah. tweeted a video of her 
trying to describe the plot without ever having seen it. Mm -hmm. Was it hard because she's an unfrozen caveman? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she actually did a pretty good job, which is just, it just gives you a sense of how culturally relevant a movie like Back Mm -hmm. to the Future is, where like the plot has seeped so far into the popular culture. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, But a couple observations back to the So did she nail it? uh, Yeah, she got like about 70, 80% of the way there. So she did a pretty good job. Um, I think it's very possible for people to recite the plot of Back to the Future never having seen it right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I will say that I think uh, the movie is still awesome and weird. Sure. Uh, a very bizarre movie, but I love it. And something that Robert Zemeckis is great at doing is he's he's really good at like setup and payoff. Oh, right? yeah. In terms of like, hey, here's something that's seeded earlier on in the film, in a piece of dialogue, in a visual that then later pays off in a big way. Uh, and that's obviously true in a really, really meta way in Back to the Future 2 as well. Um, but I, I just appreciate Zemeckis' filmmaking from a setup payoff perspective. Yeah, yeah those um, movies are like, uh, you know, coarse in yeah. setup and payoff. Clockwork. I mean, the, yeah, clockwork. It's, I mean yeah. literally in that movie. Chekhov is <laughs> the is, clock. Th- there's Chekhov's, you know, 50 different items in yeah. in the Back to the Future films. Um, but uh, yeah, I, and I think Alan Silvestri's score is one of the most iconic pieces of movie music ever written. You know, like everyone kind of can hum it to themselves, and I think it's a uh, it's really a great piece of work. Uh, the 4K versions, I will say, the original film on 4K looks awesome. It looks like it could have been shot a few years ago. And Back to the Future 2 looks like garbage on 4K. Like it actually <laughs> wow. it looks wow. it, it it looks markedly worse. Because of all the digital effects I see. All the digital effects yeah. which like I don't yeah. think were originally rendered out in 4K, right? So they had to like I mean, no, it. they didn't didn't exist back then. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think yeah. they were re- rendering it in 4K. I don't know. <laughs> So it would have taken them <laughs> 35 years to render it in 4K <laughs> on those computers. I thought you might see it a little like it might it might be a little bit noticeable, but it is extremely noticeable that that the quality of the second film visually is much worse than the first film. This is true basically for pretty much a lot of 90s movies unless they were like Jurassic Park or something and could really afford a good remaster. Um but a lot of TV shows too like from the late 90s and early 2000s. That's the uh the constant thing about Firefly is that uh, the the digital effects are rendered in like 480p, and that's always stood out in the Blu-rays. <laughs> yes, this is the Firefly of 4K releases, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that was a bit of a bummer. It's also kind of weird that this is now a movie trilogy in 4K where the first and the third films look great, and the second film doesn't look that good. <laughs> you know, like that's just a weird combination to have. Um, I also just want to call out that the 4K version has tons of great special features. Like it has pretty much all the special features from previous releases, but you also get um, like an entire hour's worth of bonus material. Uh, I haven't started working my way through that yet, but there's a lot of great stuff there. Deleted scenes, um, stuff that explains a lot of the decisions that they made. Um, so I think uh, I think it's a, a set that is worth owning for any diehard Back to the Future fan. Is it weird watching the second movie in the era of Trump? Because like Biff is so clearly the, the yeah. alternate yeah. alternate yeah. reality Biff. Yeah, it's it's the similarities are striking. In particular, there's a scene in which Biff goes to his like very gaudy hotel room. He's inside his gaudy hotel room, and um, there's a painting of himself behind the wall, mm-hmm. like or I'm sorry, on the wall. 
And I was just like, yeah, there's something to quote Biff Tannen. There's something really familiar about this. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I will say that the the similarities uh, are very striking. You know, the thing that really struck me though, that I can't get out of my head. So uh, I really love these movies, you know, the back to the future movies, they have a lot of problems. Um, in particular, uh, the way that these movies deal with women and with, let's say, Native Americans is not super sure. uh, progressive. Um, the, the core idea, the first movie is about trying not to have sex with your mom. Yes. Really. Right? Yes. Which, um, it's not I don't easy. know what you guys are working through <laughs> over there, but... Huh. Yeah, so so it's, so it's weird. Um, so I love these movies, despite recognizing that they have real... They are products <laughs> of their time and they have really yeah. significant problems. The female lead in Back to the Future Part Two just knocked out. For <laughs> the whole movie, <laughs> yeah, wow, and uh, and I believe she stays that way through the yeah. third film as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, but uh, the thing that that just struck me is is I I kind of did a deep dive into the Back to the Future movies. I think when the DVDs came out, right when the DVDs came out, I like listened to all the commentaries and watched all the special features, and I learned all about how they made the movie. And uh, what's funny is there is a moment at the end of Back to the Future One where uh, they get in the car, uh, they get in the DeLorean, and he's like, hey, um, where we're going, we won't need roads. And then the car lifts up into the air and then flies away. And Robert Zemeckis has always said that he put that in there as a joke, right? Like, he's just like, ah, what a goof. Like, it's a funny thing. Like, it's so ridiculous. It's <laughs> yeah. obviously completely incomprehensible. Like, it makes absolutely no sense to have a car fly. Like, that's so stupid. We would never, like, that's so silly. Um, but then the movie did so well that they, the, they basically said like, we're going to make sequels and you can be involved or not. And so he's like, okay, well, I'm going to be involved. Yeah. But then they really had to deal with the whole flying car thing, right? <laughs> not, not only that, but Marty McFly brought Jennifer into the vehicle with him. And, and Robert Zemeckis says like, I really wish we hadn't done that. Not that he treated her any better, but he's like, uh, I really wish we hadn't done that. Cause then the sequel could all be all about like. Marty and Doc like going on these like wild adventures together, but because Jennifer is in the car, they need and because like they obviously mentioned that plotline, they need to figure out a way to deal with it. They also the recast her. In the, yeah, they yeah. also recast her. Right? Yeah, uh, they could recast her, but they couldn't just like completely ignore what happened at the end of the first film. I guess was the logic. I guess was the logic. But anyway, it, it's uh, always just like, oh wow, this thing that he put in as a little goof at the end of the first film ended up dictating the course of the rest of the series. Yeah, uh, which I just thought was fun. It's just kind of interesting so cool. from a storytelling perspective how yeah. that happens. Anyway, that's Back to the Future. Uh, I, I watched one and two. We're going to watch three later. Uh, I love all the films. They're all st still kind of problematic, uh, but the 4K set is pretty good, except Back to the Future 2 doesn't look that great. So I'll, I'll tell you something that you may not want to hear, but uh, it occurs to me. Uh, the uh, That exact thing of putting in the thing that, that you didn't think was a big deal and then having to rectify it later or deal with it or it, it turns into the actual plot yeah it's something that happens to me all the time with the, the with dungeon run i, I had <laughs> a feeling this is going where dungeon run was going and all uh, the but time. yeah I, I but i think that's i think that's true of storytelling in general and many of the movies we see like we like this re we like to read in a bunch of intentionality but in fact a lot of storytelling is problem solving right it's, it's all problem solving and oftentimes i found that I will, in fact, do things that I don't know. I don't know why I'm doing them in the moment, but they're actually setups for things that I pay off later that I didn't know were setups at the time, right? That like I realized later when I'm like, oh, there's I got to get myself out of this jam uh, narratively. And I go, oh, my God, 
I have a great setup for that. And I didn't really know why I was doing it earlier. And sometimes your subconscious will solve those things for you. Anyway, I just need to hear nor there. But basically, you're saying you see the matrix when it comes to storytelling. You, yeah, you I'm saying I'm, see, I'm working on a level that you guys. You're basically the neo of storytelling. Yeah, you guys probably can't really understand, but you know, it's uh, also I just heard you uh, say it was culturally relevant, and I figured I had to drop a. Yeah, no, no, that's that's reasonable. Promo in too, you know. Yeah. Anyway, that's back to the future. The 4K set is out on uh, 4K UHD right now. It's time to thank one of our sponsors, Paint Your Life. I want to start by reading this email we got from a listener named Mike, who comes from Minneapolis. Mike writes, in sometime in the last couple weeks or months, I was listening to your podcast and heard an ad for Paint Your Life. I thought this is a fantastic opportunity to add unique artwork to my home. I decided to add a picture of my house to the inside of my house. It's kind of odd. I mean, you can just go outside and take a look. But going forward, if my family and I decide to move, we'll have this unique piece of artwork of our first home together. Thanks for bringing this amazing vendor to your podcast, end quote. That comes from Mike, and he's one of many people who have experienced the glory of Paint Your Life. You can get a professional, hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. Send any picture of yourself, your children, uh, or in the case of Mike from Minneapolis, a building, a special place, uh, or you can also combine photos into one painting. With Paint Your Life's compilation portraits, you can bring together family members who never had a chance to meet or create a portrait of the whole family without the need for everyone to be there for a family photo. Choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect. You can order a custom-made hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes, and you can get that hand-painted portrait in about three weeks. Uh, so I'm a big fan of paintyourlife.com, and uh, certainly listeners like Mike have already tried it, and they recommend it as well. Uh, we have a special offer today for our listeners. At paintyourlife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, you can get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word FILM to 64000. That's F-I-L-M to 64000. Text FILM to 64000. That's F-I-L-M to 64000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. All right. Uh, so The Crown, season four, debuted this weekend. Are you guys familiar with um, the, sh the show The Crown? And have you watched any episodes? Yeah, yeah. I've heard of The Crown, Dave. <laughs> yeah. It is, it is one of Netflix's uh, only successful profitable shows. And I say really? that because, mm -hmm. well, I mean, I, it's just like it's it's one of their hits that they're clearly going to continue investing in because mm -hmm. uh, a lot of Netflix shows have been canceled before they hit season four, right? Uh, we are no longer in the days of shows like Orange is the New Black and House of Cards where uh, a show could run for like 10 years or whatever. Um, now there's just a few, in far, like the hits are few and far between, specifically thinking of things like Stranger Things and The Crown. It's often brought up as like one of the canonical Netflix shows. Mm -hmm. um so have you have you seen any though Devendra Hardwar? i mean yeah i actually just watched the season four premiere this is a show that i just kind of i call it my nap show <laughs> it's a very good show to nap to because it's wow. usually very very quiet very droll you know you get pretty imagery so as you weave you in and out of sleep turning off the television to nap you, you basically just my wife the wants crown. to on a show you, 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 know, you compared the crown to a screensaver, basically, just now. I mean, it's, it's it really is. It's a very good screensaver. Let me tell you about that. Uh, the, the the this first episode though has the has the audacity to have an explosion 
in the middle of the episode. <laughs> of a nap. Of a perfectly good nap. <laughs> I, I, I will say I did not see that explosion coming. but It was, it was, I, so, it was like so dramatically set up. And then, yeah, that, that's a thing. It, it was um, a pretty but, awesome explosion. I have to say it was a pretty awesome explosion. Good uh, explosion. I, mean, I, I know it's yeah. a real life event and therefore a tragic event. So like, I'm not trying to make light of the tragic mm-hmm. event. But I'm just saying, in terms of how that scene was shot and edited, it was really impactful. Listen, um, you guys don't have nap shows. Like sometimes my wife wants to watch this thing. I'm like, okay, I, I will sit with this because we're not going to watch like any anything else right now. And sometimes she doesn't pay attention to what I'm watching too. Like if I choose it, so you know, it's a give or take. And sometimes you just nap. That's cool. It's fine. <laughs> That's how functioning marriage yourself. works. You don't need to defend yourself to me, Devendra. Um, But I had recently been listening to a podcast called "You're Wrong About." Mm-hmm. Have you guys heard of this podcast? Yes. No. It, it, it's wildly popular. It's um, they have uh, how do you say a hundred times more patrons than us? Um, mm. So I hate uh, them. Okay. for now. <laughs> yeah. No, they uh, they have about seven thousand patrons, which is quite a lot. Um, that sounds like us in March. Yep, 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 baby. Um, and so they're they're a hugely successful podcast. Uh, and they basically go back through world events. Uh, or scientific concepts or whatever and kind of give you the alternate and correct version of those things and, and kind of disprove things that were common misconceptions. So they recently did a series on Princess Diana that uh, my COVID bubble, the three of us have been listening to and quite obsessed with. And what do you know? Season four of The Crown is about Princess Diana. It's the Princess Diana years. And so I, I found the You're Wrong About episodes to be fascinating. I'd recommend the podcast. But also, uh, I thought to myself, hey, this is this is a thing where, like, when it happened, I was too young for this to really register, like, why people cared about this so much. And so uh, my mom was obviously very moved by the death of Prince Diana. And so I wanted to use this as an opportunity to kind of explore uh, what happened there, uh, to kind of uh, do a little research there. And so I watched The Crown Season 4 didn't watch any previous episodes of The Crown. Just dove straight Wait. into season four. Yep. Wait a minute. Yep. Wait I did it. I did it. I did it. Yep. Were you confused I mean, as to why this woman had a crown? And uh, what, what's no. the whole deal with her? I, I I will say that um I am still quite enjoying the show, despite all the stuff I just said. Like Despite uh-huh. the fact that I haven't watched any of the show before. Uh, the show is very episodic. <laughs> you you um, will understand why it's a good nap show, Dave. Oh, you will see. Okay. I, I don't know if the show is actually good. And what I mean by that is, like, if I didn't know anything about Princess Diana, would this actually be... If, if Princess Diana was not a, a real figure, like a real person, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. would I actually be interested in this story? I don't know. I don't yep, know. Yep. But there's something to the fact that this is probably one of the most tragic love stories in our that that we all know about in our lifetime that took place mm-hmm. in real life on the global stage right sure, like sure, sure. The, the 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 whole thing was tragic and everyone knew about it through the tabloids and everything like that and to to see kind of its inception and all the things that went into it is kind of fascinating it's mm-hmm. kind of fascinating uh and Emma Corrin who plays princess diana it's like really interesting it's like she does an amazing job like she looks really really similar to her and um, yeah. yeah, so I've, I'm three episodes in, and we're gonna we're gonna go all the way. We're gonna watch all the episodes. So, I, I will say, by um, the way, the the other good reason to check out this season is Jillian uh, Anderson. Jillian Anderson plays Margaret Thatcher. Creepy because I have listen. I have a lot of feelings about Jillian Anderson. I have directly opposite feelings about Margaret Thatcher. So it's just like <laughs> I don't. Mm, 
I don't there's like what I'm of, saying uh, right here. I, I think there's a lot of disagreement about whether this is actually a good performance by Gillian Anderson. Right, or not, right. Because it's very um, mannered, I think would be the word I would use to describe it. It's it's very obvious that Gillian Anderson is trying to pretend to be Margaret Thatcher, right? I it's, feel like that's that's the entire show. Like everybody right, is sure. putting on an affect to They have an of, affect, they have a specific yeah. voice, right? And it's like, yeah. am I watching someone play Margaret Thatcher or am I watching Saturday Gillian Night Live. Anderson <laughs> am I watching Gillian Anderson do a Margaret Thatcher impression right like yeah. I think there's a there's a fine line between those things but yeah this all goes to the fact that like the show is gorgeous it looks extremely expensive great screensaver yeah. uh I, I don't I can't actually tell you whether it's actually good as a show uh-huh. or not you'll, you'll be am, with me soon Dave on, on I am the greatly, well, I'm greatly enjoying it also Divinger you're being very dismissive but I've heard that season four is actually very good yeah. Um, probably one to of the strongest nap seasons. To nap to. <laughs> to nap to. For me um, to nap on. That's The Crown season four. I haven't watched it. People, people ask me, like, can I just dive into season four? I would never tell you to start watching a show in season four. <laughs> it, I could never in good faith yeah. recommend that. <laughs> it, it doesn't. Just, you, you could just go in. I've seen every episode of the show, the so don't tell me. Ever. Yeah, don't tell me I've been dismissive because I have. I've only <laughs> recently started napping to the show, but I have seen enough of the show to be like, okay, I know what you're doing, and I see it's it's a very austere, great recreation of history. I I can't tell it's not always interesting. You know, it's not always interesting. I see what they're going for. Um, so I I think the show is very good at this thing because there are a lot of people who just love the royal family. They just, just want to. See, see everything they can about the royal family. And I get that. Um, yeah. But to, to what you're saying, Dave, I don't think you'll ever know if it's a good show or not because it exists <laughs> in the quantum state it, it, yeah. of just being a screensaver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the best Avenger review of all time. It's not bad. It's not bad. Devinger. Okay. That's the crown season four. It's available on Netflix right now. Um, okay. Let's, uh, let's skip ahead guys. Let's skip the rest of what I've been watching. Let's move on to what Devinger has been watching. This sure. Week. Well, listen, if you want to talk about a great screensaver that is a great show, uh, <laughs> I'll talk about The Mandalorian Season 2, which I am really, really enjoying. Um, I feel like, you know, it's it's probably even more episodic than Season 1 because there are guest characters who just pop up in the season. And, um, you know... Uh, when I won't spoil too much. There's something from this week's episode, but you've probably seen all the images of freaking Timothy Oliphant in Mandalorian armor. So like Timothy Oliphant's in it. He is in the Star Wars you, universe playing you know a freaking... Mm-hmm. You know I'm an Ola fan. I, yeah. Jeff, you got to see this episode. If there is one dude in the world yeah. that I would, you know, join the other side for, <laughs> it'd be Timothy, Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> He's so good the, the he, his premiere, like his, his opening, his scene in the premiere episode, he just walks into like a saloon door and it's a guy completely covered in armor with the Mandalorian helmet. And just the way he's like holding himself, you're like, that's, that's freaking Timothy Oliphant right there. And I actually forgot he was even in the episode. Like I forgot he would be joining the season. So I, pr- I called it took off the helmet it's timothy oliphant it's great like i I want this guy to be a freaking cowboy in every single genre there is so this is very much actually they they've recreated deadwood a bit because uh who is the the barkeep character um swearagen's like uh like secondhand man 
in Deadwood. He's also in this episode because he he is uh, playing one of the aliens who's also the barkeep. So they know what they're doing. Um, it's very it's very cute in that way. But it's also great to see Oliphant in the Star Wars universe. I think um, the show is very episodic in that every episode is a different adventure with different characters with a light uh, thread of narrative kind of connecting everything together. Um, my wife just recently started watching it with me. I'm just like, well, you, you know the Baby Yoda, right? You just you protect the Baby Yoda. That's the show. And that's that's really it because every episode is uh, the Mandalorian getting into like new new dangerous situations. But it is such a fun thing to watch it is so it's really easy to watch because it's so serialized every episode feels like either you know a western story or a samurai story uh he walks into town there there's a big bad thing they got to take care of it and you know he makes some friends and enemies along the way um i like how contained all these episodes are and um it looks tremendous too I um, I thought season one looked great, but it seems like they're just pumping up the budget a little more because we're seeing like whole new worlds, um, some great firefights. Uh, I won't spoil too much about what happens in the follow up episodes, but uh, some actors you may really enjoy from some other space opera type things pop up. And I think that's all pretty fantastic. Um, I just love the show. I love the vibe of it. I feel like John Favreau, who is like spearheading all this, he directed the uh, the first episode. He, I believe he he has written everything so far, and he, I believe, has written everything of the series so far. Um, but he is doing a great job of just spearheading the Mandalorian as just like pure Star Wars, you know, pure dirty science fiction. Nothing is clean. Um, it's just about exploring new worlds, meeting new aliens, and getting you know into crazy adventures. And the Mandalorian is this great character who his his life's goal is to protect is to protect this baby Yoda. And uh, I think we all know we we would all die for baby Yoda. So I think the show gets that down really well. Um, I think it's even like it's um, acknowledging baby Yoda fandom in many ways too, because there are just random scenes of dialogue where it'll cut to baby Yoda just for no reason, but we gotta, you gotta know what baby Yoda is up to. All right. Nothing can happen in the Mandalorian without knowing what baby Yoda is up to. Uh, and I appreciate that. So yeah, season two, very good. Jeff, have you seen any of this? I forget. Yes. I, I haven't started on season two yet, but I intend to, I was waiting for it to be over so I could just binge the whole thing. Gotcha. gotcha. um, It is. Yeah. I, I feel like it's a little stronger than season one, just because they know what it is. There's less of the setup and, Maybe some of the initial mystery from season one. But if you're looking at this as basically Lone Wolf and Cub in the Star Wars universe, you know, with freaking Pedro Pascal as Mandalorian, um, I think it's a ton of fun. Uh, to quote Homer Simpson, Devendra Hardwar, um, rule number one, uh, Baby Yoda needs to be louder, angrier, and have access to a time machine. Rule number two, whenever Baby Yoda is not on screen, all the other characters should be asking, yes. where's Baby Yoda? Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, well, that's the Mandalorian season two. I'm glad you are enjoying it, Devendra. Sure. What else have you been watching? Just want to shout out Star Trek Discovery season three, the other big budget space opera that is on TV, and that I don't, I don't know if anybody's watching this, but uh, hearing from CBS folks, apparently Discovery has been a big hit for them for all access. So they're kind of, you know, they're keeping going with this whole thing. Um, if I were to describe to you what is happening in the show, it would sound insane. Because like Discovery is a show that also took the idea of uh, uh, the, t- the idea of just like teleporting or transporting 
to to the ultimate degree because uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but the big thing about the ship in Discovery is that it can just go anywhere. You know, it can teleport itself to other locations, which feels like a bit of a cheat code, but that's the big thing they've been doing. Um, season three involves time travel, I guess, and they somehow reworked this show into essentially Firefly. It's sort of like a Firefly meets Star Wars type thing where it's less about the, uh, you know, the Star Trekness of it. Um, I don't I'm not going to say too much about where it is, but they're, they're in a point where the Federation is no more. And kind of the goal of the series now is to rediscover what happened. There was a major event that kind of wiped out a lot of humanity and a lot of tech. Um, and this Federation is now like the Jedi in a way, this, this ancient thing that doesn't quite exist anymore. Um, I think discovery is a lot of fun as a show. You could tell like also huge budget. They're throwing everything they can at it. And I really like the actors involved. Um, it feels significantly not as well written as the Mandalorian or honestly a lot of other shows, but I think it's uh it's fun. It's a fun watch. Just not like not essential viewing, but man, it is crazy how much money they're throwing at this thing. That's Star Trek Discovery season three. Star Trek really having a having a moment, right? With between uh, Star Trek Discovery, sure. Star Trek Lower Decks, and uh, Picard. That other right? show we will not talk about. Yeah. Did What's you did you keep watching Picard? Uh, no, I didn't. It's very bad. <laughs> it's a very bad TV show. Um, but yeah, that happened. Is there is there a is there like a Star Trek that's like you know we've we've talked about this in the past, but is there like a Star Trek that's kind of like old school Trek? What's the closest thing to old school Trek? Um, I just Orville. want my it's the Orville. Uh, <laughs> the Orville. Uh, yeah, the Orville. That's it right. is that's the right. Orville. Said, I'm not joking. Orville. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just want like boring adventures in which like they meet worlds that are clearly analogies and metaphors for people and and species and races and peoples yeah. and stuff that it's conflicts that we have on happened. Earth. It, it's it's kind of weird what happened with the Orville because it felt like. Seth MacFarlane was just pitching a parody Star Wars, you know, Star Trek show, but in actuality, he just wanted to make Star Trek, yeah. and they just kind of let him. Like it transformed itself from being just a comedy into a original Star Trek. Really, did you finish watching uh, Lower Decks? I uh, I did. I love. I got, through, I got through most of it. and I thought it was pretty enjoyable. It's yeah. very good. Yeah, Jeff, you uh, you watch any Lower Decks yet? I don't have that CBS All Access. But I'm curious about Lower Decks. I'm. I think I'm, Lower Decks is very much your your vibe too, Jeff. Comedy. Yeah, I yeah. think I like even it. even if you don't like it, I think you'd appreciate mm-hmm. the attempt of what yeah. they're trying. Yeah, the concept you know? is brilliant. I love the idea behind it. So I I, I definitely want to check it out. Um, but I you know not enough to add another. Too much. Not enough to pay service. six dollars a month for CBS All Access. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's too many. It's it, somebody needs to just bundle all these together and sell it to me as a big bundle that i could just pay one monthly fee for yeah you know and maybe maybe, like, maybe it could be delivered to your house via a single cable for instance mm, you know that sounds like a great idea why haven't we thought of that maybe it could just be like a cable with a lot of these different shall we say channels that yeah um, yeah yeah that have and then uh, i wouldn't have to worry about um you know my internet getting getting tied up either because it would be just delivered to me on a completely oh, oh different... you're saying it would be on a different line than the internet it would be like a whole different Cable. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're saying it could be delivered the, the, through this cable instead yeah, yeah. of, you know, over my internet, you know, over, yeah, over your Wi-Fi. Internet cord, your internet cord or something, right? Yeah. It would be yeah. like its own cable. Completely different thing. It's like its own cable that I could. <laughs> I really want to see how long you guys can keep this going. So. <laughs> it's definitely running out of steam. Definitely running out of steam. Um, <laughs> no, keep going. Well, keep going, please. <laughs> so 
that is Star Trek Discovery Season 3. It is on CBS All Access along with uh, Star Trek Lower Decks yeah, and yeah. Star Trek Picard. And that's I, what, I will say this about All Access. Uh, there, there are a bunch of good shows on it. Um, another, the Good Fight, right? The Good Fight, uh, Evil. And by the way, uh, yeah, I brought this up already, but Evil is streaming on Netflix the first season. So, you know, if the second season of that actually comes, that would be another good reason to take a look at CBS All Access. Hey, let me jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Quip. Have you ever noticed those ridiculous little plastic floss picks littered on the street? I know we're not out and about as much anymore, but man, it used to bug me so much that people seem to just toss those things on the floor. Those little, uh, you know, those little like C-shaped plastic floss picks. Leave it to the folks at Quip to have solved that problem too. Their electric toothbrush is awesome, but it's their sleek, reusable floss pick that I want to tell you about today. The durable handle that is easy to guide. It restrings with a click and comes with a compact mirrored dispensing case for flossing on the go. Plus, it has a single refill pod that replaces over 180 single-use plastic flossers. So that's 180 plastic flossers that we can get out of the ground, off the floor, It reduces waste, it's better for your teeth and the environment. Even if you're not a pick person, Quip also has refillable floss string that expands to clean, so you got better floss either way, and you gotta floss. If you you don't use a pick, you gotta use a floss, and why not get the best? You pair that floss with the perfect electric toothbrush, both for kids and adults. We have four of them in my house. These simple guiding features you need to make the most of your oral hygiene. Timed sonic vibrations with guiding pulses. It goes off every 30 seconds. I'm always now brushing for at least two minutes because the Quip makes sure I do. It pulses, lets me know every 30 seconds, turns itself off after two minutes. And now you can get amazing rewards just for brushing better every day as well with the Quip Smart Electric Toothbrush that connect to the free Quip app. It's so awesome. I am a genuine fan of Quip. And if you go to getquip.com slash filmcast right now, you can get your first refill for free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash filmcast. That's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Quip, better oral health made simple. All right, Jeff, what have you been watching this week? I like the idea that the one thing we need is more good shows, you know? Like, More good oh shows. God, if I, if I only could find good shows. <laughs> like would drowning solve so in good many shows. of our problems. It yeah. solves so many of our Drowning problems. in good shows. It's time that I need. Where can I, bu- somebody needs to bundle more time. It's some sort of service. Pay for that. Or anyway. maybe, maybe pay for people to sift through the junk to find you the good shows, Jeff. There you go. Oh, there that sounds go. like being a patron to a, mm. a, a really high level podcast. Award winning. I wanted to say award winning. Are we award winning? <laughs> We've won awards, right? We've won awards. Sure. Kind of. I In my know. own head. Can yes. I tell you? Can I tell you something, guys? I I kind of have a um. I I kind of have a bias against um saying award winning, even if it's true. <laughs> like you know, so like some people will list on their Twitter profiles like author of award winning book blah or whatever. Um or off like director of award winning film blah, and I just I'm biased against that. Sure. Because I feel like if it was an important award, you wouldn't need to say that. Right? Like, <laughs> mm, mm. like if, if it was know. like if you won Best Picture, like Green Book, for instance, you yeah. wouldn't need to say like director of the Academy Award-winning film Green Book 
because everyone would just know what it was. Everyone would know that it was award winning. You know what I'm saying? Uh, well, Green Book specifically, people would be like, "Did that win? Really?" <laughs> You're we right. Bad example. Yeah. Bad yeah. example. Bad example. Well, I'll anyway. tell you. Uh, I do have a podcast that is award winning, and we constantly remind people that we have concerns is an award winning science podcast. Because we were shocked as anybody that we would be awarded for science. In the science category, we won an award. Uh, and we are just terrible at science. Uh, we are an award-winning science podcast, though. Anyway. So basically, I just I just kind of um, spent, you, like, spent like yeah, a minute wow. negging you just now. Yes. Is what you're saying. Yes, which is actually a new low for you because uh, usually uh, a minute, minute, a minute is, is, is a very low number for the amount of... <laughs> All right, Jeff, what have you been watching? Come on, tell us. I watched a show on Netflix called Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun. Have either of you guys seen this? No. no. I love it with my whole heart. I love it so very much. It is a sketch comedy show uh, with three Australian, I want to say Australians, not New Zealanders. Yeah, I think they're Australians. Yeah. Um, they, are, they were YouTube sketch comedy dudes and uh, got a sketch comedy show and it is brilliant, brilliant. Um, frequent listeners of the show will know that I hold in very high esteem Mr. Show with Bob and David. It's mm -hmm. my favorite sketch comedy show of all time. I have most of the sketches memorized from that show. Uh, this is like right there as far as I'm concerned. I watched all of season one of, of Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun, uh, which is six episodes, six half-hour episodes. I watched it in one sitting. Uh, I may have had a cookie before that. It's a very special cookie, but it was delightful and hilarious. I have gone back and rewatched some of the episodes. It is so crazy. I mean, the the show is unhinged in in a very sort of Tim and Eric way. I was never into Tim and Eric. It didn't vibe with me. I I, I think I was sort of a little too old for it when it really crested. And mm -hmm. but it this show feels a little bit like it's got some of the rub of Tim and Eric, but done done in a more sophisticated way for my Is money. Is it like, done... uh, I think you should leave the uh, Tim Robinson show? Did you watch that? I did watch that. Um, I, I I thought that show was pretty good. This show, I think, is brilliant. I think the gags are really sophisticated and biting and interesting, but it, it but they'll, like, take it to this absurd extreme, you know? They'll, they'll, they'll go off the rails completely uh, and, and not be afraid to do that. And in the same way that that show did. Um, but I, I just think it's more effective. I just, it just worked for me better than, than any sketch comedy show in recent memory does. I just thought, and they do this really smart thing. Auntie Donna, uh, the Auntie Donna boys, as they're, they call themselves. Um, they do this very clever thing. One of the, one of the things I liked about Mr. Show back in the day was that, they would have this half hour of sketches, but each sketch sort of transitioned into the next. You'll know there'll be a, a a sketch where somebody's in their living room doing the sketch, and then there's a TV in the living room. And at the end of the sketch, it'll like zoom in on the TV, and then the next sketch is the thing that was on the TV, right? It's just connective tissue between each sketch mm -hmm. that I thought was a cool, you know, it's just a, it's just a fun little flourish that makes the it, it flow together in a different way and but i always appreciated that about mr show it wasn't like the best thing about it but it was cool and what auntie donna's boys do is, is something similar but very very different and actually a lot more difficult in my opinion very frequently in the show the last 
joke of a sketch is the first joke of the next sketch. Mm. So, you know, people always say Saturday Night Live is terrible at endings. It sounds, it, it seems to me like Auntie Donna's Boys decided, well, we just won't do endings. We'll just only do beginnings. Well, like our sketch will go and then it'll just be the beginning of another sketch. And it's a very cool thing. It's a sketch that has a gag. It has a, you know, a game that they're playing that is the premise of the sketch. And then there'll be this pivot at the end, this new joke at the end of the sketch that is the setup for the new game in the next sketch. That's and very that Monty really Python, hard. isn't it? That's what it what? reminds me of. It's very what? Monty Python. Or at least Flying Circus, yeah. Yeah, I guess Flying Circus did do that. Um, yeah. It's a very sophisticated way of going about it. And it 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 really works for me. I, I think that some of the ideas in the in the show are so, so smart and very, very funny. Um, it, it's I really recommend it. It's six half-hour episodes. The other cool thing is that there'll be callbacks in later episodes of, of characters and sketches in the first episodes. Uh, like a running sort of meta. In fact, the whole show, <laughs> this seems weird to say, I guess, but when we originally started doing the Totally Rad show, Alex and Dan and I, um, the original premise for our show is that it was like three guys that lived in this house and all these things we had to, we were forced to review movies and TV shows or movies and video <laughs> games and stuff. And yeah. we like, we're going to have this whole meta layer on it where we live together and we do things. And that's basically how this show works. Like there's a, there's a conceit that they live in this house together. And so there's, there's things that persist, even though there's wildly different characters and they'll do things like, you know, it's three dudes. Mostly there are other actors in it. And I, I think my friend, Ify Nawadawe is one of the people that's in a side character role at, at one point. Um, I thought I recognized him. I could be wrong, but I think it's him. Um, anyway, the, uh, the, they'll do a thing where like, you know, one of there'll be the three of them in a scene and then it'll cut to another angle. And it's one of the three playing a different character. And then they'll cut back to that first angle and it'll be just like a mannequin dressed up like the one guy. So where he was standing, you know, like very bonkers goofball stuff, but it it's also kind of smart. Like it, it's a great show. It's really, really funny. And I, I urge everybody listening, if you want to just, laugh your butt off uh, i i would recommend auntie donna's big old house of fun auntie donna's big old house of fun is streaming right now on netflix and that is what we've been watching this week all right we're gonna get to weekly plugs but before we do that uh let's thank all the people that donated to the podcast this week of course uh if you want to support us and get some cool patron rewards you can go to patreon.com slash film podcast but you can also donate one time by going to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. We want to thank donors this week, Michael Coe and Tamara Falcone. Uh, Tamara? Tamara? Tamara Falcone, who writes the following. Quote, I wanted to say thank you for your podcast, which is somehow a perfect mix of thought-provoking insights and funny banter. The three of you have uniquely different perspectives and personalities, which has taught me about everything from anime to the WWE to single cut directing to the art of box keeping. What? Mm-hmm. By the way, Jeff, big, big hit. You know, you were so Dude. down on yourself and I was very encouraging about it. And I think <laughs> I the listener response, uh, excuse me. Ex- I mean, excuse <laughs> you, excuse you. I was quite encouraging. And the listener response has yeah. borne out. That people yeah. really enjoyed hearing you talk about boxes. Uh, there, we are, we are legion 
the the box hoarders. Mm-hmm. We have. Uh, I, I did not know. Uh, I I did not know. I would put out the box bat signal. Yeah, uh, it was hard and, for them to respond because uh, there's there's no room for them to move. And <laughs> they're surrounded uh, by but boxes. But we are legion. We 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 the collectors of boxes. We the closet the 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 closet uh, fillers. We we proud. We few. We mighty. Uh, and I, I hear you and I respect everybody that came out and uh, supported our movement. And even though present company was dismissive of, of the idea. Mm, I mean, we we're dismissive of the idea, but not of it as a topic of the of conversation for After Dark. Um, so <laughs> Tamara continues, my, my long overdue donation is in dedication to my older sister, Erica Mitchell, who lives in Copenhagen, Denmark. A couple of years back, Erica introduced me to your podcast, and ever since your discussions are part of our weekly calls, we lovingly refer to you as our boys. And no, we don't think we own you. Erica and I have always loved talking about books, television, and movies, and your podcast helps to enrich these conversations and introduce us to new material. It's been 18 months since I've seen my sister, and I miss her dearly. Mm. Thank you again for all that you do, especially reminding your patrons to stay safe and be responsible during this miserable pandemic. End quote. Thanks for that lovely message, Tamara. I'm glad that we are your boys. You do though, now own us because um, you've now given money. So uh, that's how that works. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Also, thanks to Beth M., who writes about uh, the election that's happening in Georgia. Uh, and she writes, instead of just crossing your fingers that Georgia does the right thing, you can take an active role in the outcome of this Georgia election, the runoff. You can write postcards, make phone calls, donate, and text bank in order to give John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock the support they need. I have a link tree where I have lots of links you can click on to help. Please go to, uh, and then I'll link tree. Uh, you know, link tree has a place where you can link to things. And I, I will link to this link tree in the show notes. Um, but uh, Beth has lots of ways you can help if you want to for this Georgia election. We'll link to that link tree um, in, in the show notes for this episode. Bravo so thanks Beth. to everyone. And thanks to everyone for donating Please this week. It. Yeah. Um, and yeah, definitely something that is worth getting involved in. Well, let me just say like, you may have a lot of free time, you know, over the next couple of weeks. You may, uh, you, you may, you yeah, may, if you're, you yeah. may, if it turns out you do, text banking is, yourself, is a pretty awesome this thing. This is not my free time. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> terrible, terrible. It sounded like that's what he was doing. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry. No, I'm good. I already did my American Utopia shout out, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, so anyway, uh, thank you to everyone who donated. PayPal.me slash the word filmcast or patreon.com slash film podcast. Never donate if it in any way causes you any hardship. Um, and if you want to support us for free, you can always go to the Apple podcast listing for the slash filmcast and leave a star rating. It really does help. Uh, so thanks to everyone who supported us this week. Let's get to weekly plugs. We're going to do weekly plugs. Weekly Plugs is the segment of the show each week where we recommend something that we have made or that someone else has made that we really appreciate. Um, So I'll give a shout out for a weekly plug. Uh, For the last eight years, I've been recording one second of video for every single day of my life and then stitching them together each year. And this year, I decided to try something a little bit different. I decided to narrate the video um, to kind of reflect on that year of my life to give you a little bit more insight into uh, what my life is like and how I... 
<laughs> yeah. Um, every every second has its own narration, by the way. So, like, I narrate every wow. second. Um, <laughs> reminds Devinder. Remember when like Conan O'Brien had that uh, had that uh-huh. parody of Twenty Four called Sixty? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and every good. episode was a second in a minute. Anyway. He was so ahead of his time. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, so uh, check that out on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen SKY. I'll also link to it in the show notes. But it's my one second everyday video essay. Um, it is what I have learned from the last year of my life. And uh, I think a lot of people have uh, appreciated hearing about uh, you know my reflections on this pandemic that we're all going through. Uh, and you can listen to them at this YouTube, YouTube video. So that's my weekly plug. Devendra, what about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still coming off of uh, some some of the longest reviews I've ever written for the new consoles, but uh, I still have some new stuff coming up this week. One of them is going up on Tuesday, so I guess when you're listening to this podcast, but we're also broadcasting live, and I cannot say what that thing is, but uh, it's it's a very thin it's a very thin thing from a fruit company. How about that? You know, wow, fruit some company. thoughts on that. You can never figure that out. It's completely. It, is Chiquita releasing like a fruit roll up or something? <laughs> Banana. Sunkissed? Is Sunkissed as Banana a new phone. tablet? <laughs> so check out my review of the Banana Phone Tuesday. Um, <laughs> really I'll mean, also really have mean. something about uh, AMD's new Radeon GPUs. Um, the really like highly anticipated ones that are going to be as fast as NVIDIA's fastest stuff. That's going up on Thursday or no, that's going up on Wednesday. So keep an eye out for all that over at Engadget. All right. Except that you can't get anything made by AMD. I'm, I'm trying to get those uh, those new chips that they just the 5900 X right now. In general, get, literally, yeah. they do, they did not release them. They said they released them November 5th. They are not out. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, PC hardware. Uh, this is you play a long, long waiting game for PC hardware. I hope you get your stuff though, Jeff. It ridiculous. sounds very exciting. Yeah. All right, Kanata, your weekly plug. I'm going to plug The Dungeon Run. This last week, we did uh, episode 72, I want to say. Um, And uh, the name of the episode is Off the Rails. And that's because the show was ridiculous and fun. There was a lot of laughter and goofballitude, I guess. Uh, And uh, But also, there was a big battle on a moving train. The, uh, The heroes found a dwarven train that goes from one dwarven city under the mountain to another dwarven city to the north, and they rode that train, and of course, there was a monster on that train. I won't spoil what kind of monster, but it was very large and very unexpected, and uh, it was a really cool fight, a really, really amazing ending. The, The players came up with such a cool way to defeat this monster. I did not anticipate at all, and the best part is that we have this these visual flourishes on, I keep using that word flourish this week, apologies. Uh, we have these 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 cool map room that has uh, a a fully three D version of our tabletop. We used to do the show in a in a studio with a cool table and a cool set. Now we, they've built that table, recreated it in a virtual environment because we can't be in the same room with each other yet. Uh, and that gives us license to create really incredible three D models. And so there's a moving train on a table with little models and awesome uh, monsters on it. You got to see it. It's really, really cool. So you can find the Dungeon Run on YouTube if you want to see the the all the visual stuff. Or you can listen to it as an audiobook at, or like an audiobook as an audio show. Uh, it's released as a podcast. You can find it anywhere you get podcasts by searching for the Dungeon Run. 
We also put a link in the show notes. Let me also tell you about our sponsor, Lightstream. Do you want to erase your credit card bill? Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they deliver. You can quickly roll balances from multiple credit cards into one single monthly loan payment. You get a low fixed interest rate, and you free up more money in your monthly budget. So you can say goodbye to your credit card bills and take even more control of your money. I am big, big believer in having no debt. If you have debt right now, you got to figure out a way to get rid of it. Lightstream's credit card consolidation loans have rates from just 5.95% APR with auto pay, and there are absolutely no fees. That's huge. No fees at all. And just for listeners of the Slash Filmcast, apply now to get an additional interest rate discount to save even more. The only way to get this discount is by going to lightstream.com slash filmcast. That's lightstream.com slash filmcast for an additional discount. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Subject to credit approval. Rate includes a 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash filmcast for more information. All right, let's move on to our review of Kajillionaire. After this person. And clear. Now. There's a camera there, there, and there. Cash. Nope, mini order. This is not a cheap tie. Most people want to be kajillionaires. That's the dream. That's how they get you hooked. Hooked on sugar, hooked on caffeine. Ha, ha, ha. Cry, cry, cry. Me, I prefer to just skip. So do I. February, March, April. Uh, we may have to pay in installments. Rent is an installment. It's a monthly installment. They are real characters. Super unique. But you vouch for them, right? She learned to forge before she learned to write. Oh, actually, that's how she did learn to write. My favorite movies are the Ocean Eleven movies. This is exactly the kind of thing that I've been wanting. So what do your parents do, hon? Hon, you've never called me that. But you could if it was a job, though, right? That was from the trailer of Kajillionaire, the newest film by Miranda July. Uh, and you're listening to the Slash Film Guest. I'm going to read the plot summary for Kajillionaire right now from IMDb. Quote, a woman's life is turned upside down when her criminal parents invite an outsider to join them on a major heist they're planning. Uh, joining us today for our review of Kajillionaire, she is the deputy entertainment editor at Mashable.com and one of the critics at KPCC's Film Week. Angie Han, welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. Angie, how are you doing tonight? I am doing pretty well considering the circumstances. Thank you for having me. <laughs> It's great to have you on, and I think you actually had seen this movie uh, for the first time at Sundance this year, right? Yes. And you really uh, loved it, as far as I could tell from your reaction. So uh, let's talk a little bit about this movie, and, and what is it that you uh, enjoyed about it? What is it that really touched you about this film? I Part of it is just a personal thing. I really tend to like these movies about characters that are very that need a lot of love but have trouble asking for it it's just a topic that i find interesting when i see it in storytelling but i'm also just someone who's i've liked miranda july's other films so it's something that i was really excited to see and so i ended up liking this one a lot too yeah you know uh 
Uh, would you say that is it fair to say this is Miranda July's like most accessible film? Because um, I've seen her other stuff and yeah, uh, it's definitely like very specific, but it hasn't really spoken to me as much as this movie has been uh, spoke to me. I should say, um, how, how would you compare this one to her other films? I do think it's probably her most straightforward one. I'll admit here that I haven't rewatched her other films in a while, so I'm not speaking for someone who where those are very fresh in my mind. But I do feel like this one is the most straightforward in in terms of you know, you understand what's going on and there's no like, there isn't like a cat narrating the whole movie or anything like that. A poor mm. injured cat. Yeah. Narrating. Yeah. She knows how to get us. All right. Well, uh, we have much more to discuss about the film, but Devendra, I want to hear what you thought about Kajillionaire. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I can, I, I feel like I'm coming down on Angie's side here because it is ultimately a story about a very, very lonely person who is trying to figure out what love actually is and what she deserves and how to ask for it in certain ways. And all that is really compelling. I think the way this movie was framed, um, maybe at least from the trailer, I got a sense it would be a little, maybe a little more heisty, maybe a little more like a Logan Lucky type of thing. And it's really not that movie. It's using that framework to explore this character and her parents and kind of their relationship with each other. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I feel like you never know what you're going to get with an, with a Miranda July movie. And this one just felt like, oh, okay, I get this. I understand who this character is and what she's aiming for. Um, there's some stuff we could talk about when it comes to specifics. Cause I do feel like, I don't know. I wanted more from Gina Rodriguez's character just because she comes into this movie very much like the, uh, the manic pixie dream girl type of thing. And it feels like that all over again, but I, it's not even just that. I just wanted to know more about her and her life and what she wanted. Mm. This movie is very focused on Evan Rachel Wood's character. And I get that, you know, you, you can only really show so much, but I think it would have been stronger if we got a better sense of who Gina Rodriguez was and, you know, why, why she had such an influence on her. But as an actress, um, you know, I, I think Gina Rodriguez's performance is fantastic. Like she really sells that character, even though there's not quite that much, you know, written into it, but yeah, overall really enjoyed this. I think what's uh, great about the Gina Rodriguez character who plays Melanie in this film yeah. uh, versus uh, Evan Rachel Wood who plays Old Dolio. The, the two of them have many scenes <laughs> together, but it almost feels like... I gotta love Me- saying that name. Just Yeah. Just, Old Dolio. It's, it's a wild name yeah. that, uh, that where it, it sounds Once we funny. learn why, why yeah. you know, that name the, exists too, tells us so much. The yeah. best name in the history of cinema. <laughs> I think it's... <laughs> I, I don't think there's even a contest. She belongs on like Popeye or something. You know, it's a very Popeye-esque That is... Yeah, so, yeah. so inspired. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what's great about the character of Melanie, played by Gina Rodriguez, is like she, her, the, the, her look, her aesthetic, but also mm-hmm, her mm-hmm. acting style almost feels like it comes out of a different movie. And I yeah, don't say yeah. that in, a, I'm not trying to be disparaging. I think it's actually mm-hmm. like you see kind of these worlds colliding in this film in a way that I, I found to be pretty compelling. So mm-hmm. uh, anyway, Jeff Kanata, what did you think about Kajillionaire? Well, Dave, I guess you could say what I feel about Congillionaire is best summed up in the form of a limerick. Huh. Angie, I assume yeah. you you remember from last time you were on here this uh, limerick yeah. situation we have. The limerick the mandate. The, the I did absolute... not remember that, but okay. <laughs> Dave <laughs> Angie wow. forgot what she was roped into. Yeah. Dave has very specific, what was the term you used? Uh, exacting... Uh, uh, standards. I need an uh, egg white omelet, 
an avocado and, when, <laughs> and a liver. And when he's and when those standards aren't met, he is he is terse to the point. Of, what was the phrase you used exactly? Uh, he's he has uh, very specific needs, and those needs include a, a limerick in every episode. And I, it falls to me mm. to be the one to hold this show together with bubblegum and poetry. You know what I'm saying? That is almost yeah. as aggressively quirky as a Miranda July movie. Yeah, you well, did. I love it. Yeah. Dave is nothing if not consistent. Anyway, here is my <laughs> limerick for Kajillionaire. How can I express my reaction? to this movie's enigmatic abstraction. I guess one way is for me to say, I didn't mind the $20 transaction. <laughs> <laughs> so That's pretty good. Are, yeah. Pretty good. You're, you're referring to the fact that uh, we had to each pay $20 to rent Kajillionaire this week. Listen, we right? got yeah. to add up to the box office somehow, you know, yeah. and we yeah. add a significant chunk with these. This, show, this show has spent $80 you know, collectively on we represent an $80 investment in Kajillionaire. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and yeah. I, you know, and I'm, I'm here for it. Uh, loyal listeners of the show will remember. I made a, a bit of a deal about the, uh, Mulan price that we all yeah. each paid. Mm. All, mm-hmm. And, uh, I was a little, uh, You're less miffed. than thrilled about how much I paid to see that movie mm-hmm. this time. Mm-hmm. Super, super. Okay. With the $20 price for Kajillionaire. I yeah. really, really enjoyed this movie. Um, and I, I don't think I I really, I'm not as familiar with Miranda July as you all do. And I really wanted to watch the future before we recorded tonight. I just didn't get around to it. Didn't have the time, Mm but, um, I am, I think I am now a huge fan of hers. I, I think you would really love me and you and everyone we know, Jeff, like that is very much up your alley. I'd say I I'm going to take it upon myself to watch her whole oeuvre. I, I think this not many actually, but yeah. She speaks, she speaks my language. In fact, it, it reminds me actually of uh, John Patrick Shanley. Um, mm-hmm. Like Joe versus the Volcano is what I yeah. thought about when I was watching this. Because like him and like those that movie in particular, it's definitely not for everybody. But it also exists in this abstracted sort of uh, fable world where mm-hmm. nothing really behaves how it actually does in the real world. I mean... Yeah. One of the things that I think that I that moved me so much. I was really moved by this movie. I I wept watching it. I I found it very powerful and and I I was trying to figure out why exactly because the movie sort of washed over me in a way that most movies don't. It 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 is I really had no idea where it was going moment to moment. I was completely swept up in the the stylized characters. I mean, nobody behaves like a grounded naturalistic human being in this movie not side characters i mean i guess i guess you could say that uh gina rodriguez's character kind of yeah. does but but she, not she's really. kind of a normal who gets swept into but she this makes whirlpool. But she, yeah she very weird behave, decisions right she yeah. doesn't behave yeah. like you'd expect a person in that situation to behave right and and, and there are movies i i kept thinking like this to me you know if we're going to do the old uh, sat question uh, Kajillionaire is to me as I expect Mandy is to Devendra. You know what I mean? Like it, <laughs> it works precisely because of how off kilter and weird it is. And, and it just, it, because it is abstracted and because these characters are heightened and live in this sort of fable world, it, 
resonated with me on a level that naturalism couldn't, right? It it okay. highlights things because those things are exaggerated. And I think part of it also is this movie shot like all around where I used to work and where I live. And I haven't been to those places in eight months. And uh, it was really emotional seeing people like mm. walking outside and standing at a bus stop I've driven by hundreds of times. And I mean, that was very, it was a very personal thing in that way. But I think the movie is really beautiful and mm-hmm. moving. And you you have these characters that that are deeply damaged and trying to find ways to heal themselves and come together and find connection points. And it reminded me of, you know, of, of a movie like Joe versus the volcano that it, it doesn't really take place in a real world, right? The, in Kajillionaire, right, yeah. there's like a, 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 an earthquake in LA every 15 minutes, right? You know, it's like this, this exaggerated version of Los Angeles, uh, Is but played real. Yeah, like I mean, <laughs> I mean some days from everything I've heard. I don't know. <laughs> there are days and there are days. But uh, you know, it but you know, it's almost like LA story, you know, the Steve Martin movie in LA story yeah. where everybody there's an earthquake and everybody's, you know, in the diner just shaking and shaking, and then they keep going. That all of these things in in this world are filtered through this sort of uh absurd lens that really, really worked for me. But I suspect won't work for many people. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's a movie that you really have to, it has to be on your wavelength or I feel like you're going to be like, what is this? But for whatever reason, it was really on my wavelength and it moved me and it, I was totally invested in these people and their plight and the weird, you know, that <laughs> there's this weird uh, ritual that they have every day that is so exaggerated and so unrealistic and yet, representative of the kinds of things that people do every sure. day. I'm, I'm you know, sure rent is cheap at the, at the bubble office, you know? <laughs> right. Right. But it's like, you know, it's like uh, Joe versus the volcano where he goes into work and the ceiling isn't high enough and everybody doesn't mention it, you know, and you, yeah, you watch yeah. a movie like that and you go, this is dumb or this totally <laughs> makes sense. This is how it feels to be in that situation. And this yeah. movie expresses itself like that it expresses itself on this this level of wow that feels honest even though it is absurd and ridiculous the excuses you make to live in like a cheap apartment somewhere you know like yeah yeah the the things that poor people do you know the the ways in which things are compromised the ridiculous uh you know movement that evan rachel wood does to get into the to the post office yeah. every day. Like she, she all these the things, cameras. come on. Right. But all these things are, are not naturalistic, right? It's not naturalism we're watching, but it, it speaks to a sort of higher truth that I appreciated. I, I, it really, really worked for me and I, I, I was moved by it. I'm, I'm glad to hear that, uh, mm-hmm. Jeff. Uh, you know, uh, one way to describe this movie potentially, uh, it's like Napoleon dynamite meets parasite. I think, um, sure. just in terms of in terms works, of themes and tone. Um, yeah. let, let me ask you, Angie Han, uh, any thoughts on like the tone of this film? Did it work for you, given the plot? It worked for me a lot, and I think Jeff really gets at how it doesn't feel literally true. Like the things that you watch, you're watching, you know, are not things that would literally mm-hmm. make any sense mm-hmm. in actual real life, and it's not really trying to pretend to be. But it 
But all these things, even though it doesn't feel literally true, it somehow gets at something that feels emotionally truer than the kind of real world equivalent might. Like it feels like if it feels like if you're in um, watching like a, it feels like instead of giving you something that feels realistic, it's kind of distilling down the emotions and experience of those more real things that would happen to you into these specific little situations in this movie. Does that make sense? Yeah. It was yeah, way totally. more articulate than I was. I actually think you summed it up very well. Yeah. Well, thank you. Agreed. I mean, Agreed. it's not in limerick form, but I hope Where, Yeah, where's, uh, where's the limerick <laughs> is my question. Um, last time someone on this podcast used the term wavelength, by the way, uh, in, in the way you used it, Jeff, was to describe the movie Capone. Remember that? Mm. And how that movie... I try not to that. remember that movie, actually. So similar to Cajillionaire. <laughs> Well, did you? So, Angie, did you see Capone? Do you have a? Were you a fan of that movie? I'm curious. <laughs> I did not. I was joking. I would. I have oh, not seen Angie, it to be fair, on. but I would assume yeah. that they are not very similar films. <laughs> they are <laughs> they sort are. of both about the failure of the American dream. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. both, oh, what is it? They're both yeah. moving pictures at 24 frames per second. <laughs> they both you have see Tom Hardy shitting on people. himself. <laughs> There's yeah. color and sound. Very similar so, films. Very similar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a boom goes dynamite in there somewhere. Anyway, um, <laughs> well, so yeah, go, go ahead, Devendra. I wonder, I mean, the, the Capone thing is kind of, it is very much a specific wavelength. You got to be in for this movie because I feel like you, you can't judge a movie from its trailer. And I do feel like the trailer for this was selling more of like a heist type thing. And there are heists in this movie because, um, you know, uh, old Dolio, Evan Rachel Wood's character, you know, has parents and they get through life by committing basically these little schemes and it's good enough to apparently be working, but they're also delusional in a way to think like, this is the only way, this is the true way to success. Right. And, you know, living a normal life is a, is a sucker's job. And I feel like part of that gets into the insanity of Capone or something. But anyway, that, that's how I'm seeing these two. <laughs> nicely, I mean, nicely done, Devendra. It's hard, yeah. to, hard to connect those films, but you did it. You did it. Let me, let me say one more thing uh, that I wanted Capone? to mention. Uh, yeah, no, I will never say another thing about Capone. Uh, no, that's just mean. That's just mean. That movie's fine. Uh, in, the, in, the, in that, I really disliked it. Um, <laughs> uh, you've, you can never go wrong. This is a sort of a, a life rule that I've found. You can never go wrong watching a movie with Richard Jenkins in it. That's sure, just, yes. The guy that's just a good picks way to go great life. Yeah. projects. You know, he's always great and he picks great projects. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Agreed. All right. There's a lot I want to talk about, but I'm glad everyone enjoyed the film. I have a little bit more to say about it, um, but I want to talk about some specific scenes in the movie. So why don't we get to spoilers for A Kajillionaire starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Trying to see this coming. No. But you won't find it because, of course, they're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. So let's talk about a, a couple of scenes from Kajillionaire that I, I really loved. First of all, Jeff, mm -hmm. you're talking about the... The sweeping of the bubbles every day, which uh, yeah. is a is just kind of a, a really beautiful um, kind of depiction metaphor, of almost, metaphor, yeah. right, for what it means to live in poverty, right? The idea I mean, I mean like, also you're you're living next door to Bubbles Inc. So what, what do you think is happening? <laughs> you bubbles know? Inc. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he great. makes bubbles. He makes bubbles. incorporated. They had to incorporate. Bubbles. That's a why are there extra <laughs> bubbles? You know, there's well, there's spillover in everything, mm -hmm. Angie. They're still like, working on their yields. Obviously. That's how the business works. Um, okay, but 
I so I think overall this is a movie where you really have to trust in the storyteller because yeah, yeah, as you said, like you don't know where it's going, and I, I had I could not have predicted that where it ended would be you know where it ended. So like it's it's just a thing where I'm like, okay, I have no idea where this is going. I have to trust the storyteller, but there's a few and moments almost, in this. It almost sets up things and then like turns on a dime and doesn't yes. go that yeah. way. You know, it's like yeah. setting up this whole thing and then a character will be like, no, I just don't behave that way anymore. <laughs> it's really fascinating. Sorry, Dave, I, go ahead. No, 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 no worries. Uh, but there are definitely a few moments of this movie that, uh, like, I, I don't know that I felt like the ending was super satisfying, you know, like, I'm not like, oh, amazing right, ending. Right. It was, uh, the I thought the scene right fun. before the ending, I think yeah, is there's some The blackout there's some really, scene. There's some really transcendent scenes in this film one of them is really early on when uh, uh rachel evanwood's character uh old dolio is trying to um sell this gift certificate for this um massage like back yeah. to the woman who's the masseuse for cash and yeah. she's like can i have like can you give me that rock for it right and then <laughs> and then she gets touched by the masseuse and I th- I think what that scene was trying to convey is the idea that like she's not used to being touched at all, right? Like oh, yeah. that, right. that she's not used to like affection or anything like that, and she finds it alienating. She's left but in the also- basin, right? Right, and um, and she finds it weird, but also like obviously something that she desires as well. Um, and then immediately after her parents barge in and are like, can we trade you for that rock? Which I just thought was like so they good. both had the same <laughs> method of thinking, which I just yeah. thought was brilliant. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's like the extent to which she's just been raised in this culture and, you know, she knows that she has to ask for the rock. That's what she's been taught to do. Yeah. What she hasn't <laughs> been taught to do is learn how to, you know, kind of give and receive affection at all. And honestly, that was actually the first time I saw it. That was kind of the moment where I was like, I think I'm all in with this movie because I yeah, thought that Rachel, yeah. uh, Evan Rachel Wood's performance in it was just so good and so heartbreaking. The first oh, time man. I saw this movie, I cried so many times and I actually think that that scene which is like 15 minutes in was the mm-hmm. first time i cried in that movie it was just because of the longing that you see on her face for someone to touch her in a way that is like kind and affectionate and her inability to receive it even though it is something she wants so desperately mm-hmm. i i gotta say i was i was in on the the, the very first scene of the movie is like a send up of the the kind of oceans 11 type heist where they're like yeah all right it's very Logan's lucky go. Is, yeah. is where I thought this movie would go. But yeah. And then, and then, you know, she does the ridiculous dive and roll and thing into the thing. And then uh, does actually kind of a rad uh, idea with the post office box stealing the thing. And then what's in the thing is a tie. Somebody's <laughs> mailing a tie into a post office box. Just like if you stop and think about any little tidbit of that, it's so ridiculous. But I love, like, I was like, okay, movie. We are in a weird place, and I am <laughs> down. I am down I, I for like, this. Jeff, how the weirdness for you is a post office box holding a package that is pretty normal. I advertise online all the time, Jeff. Am I am I a weirdo to you, Jeff? <laughs> I, I think it's pretty <laughs> hilarious that there's just like naked. It's just like naked open tie. It's just it's yeah. just a tie in a bag. It's like it's not. I don't know. I just found that to be I bizarre love her, and wonderful, her and he's. And you know, he's yeah. like, this tie's got to be worth $50. You know, it, it, it just was so, we were already in this place. Every single moment was just like, whoa, this is bizarre and wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And these prof- and we haven't mentioned Deborah Winger yet either. And she's great. It, it's just, all, I really liked it. It's all good. I, I love the, the post office uh, heist because haven't we all thought that, you know? Like I remember 
Um, actually, at our college, Dave and Angie, like our our mailroom was pretty yeah, much the same like deal. Yeah, yeah, and I would see <laughs> it. W- it was not even that long too. It was like maybe maybe like a foot deep. So it's like I just stuck my hand in there. I'll probably get something cool. I don't know. I, th- I think the centerpiece of this film, though. Well, well, another moment, by the way, that there I really are many. Appreciated. Yeah. Another moment I really appreciated was when they get off the plane in New York, they eat the snacks they've stolen from the other people's seats, uh-huh. yeah, and then uh-huh. they just get right back on the plane and fly back. And yep. there's just this brief moment where she's looking at the city, and it's not like this amazing shot of the city or anything. Right. Uh, it's not like an iconic shot of the city. It's just like <laughs> it's as oh, good as New York can look from is that LGA or something like something yeah, over the it, water. It's yeah. like it's just like oh, it's kind of a fairly pedestrian shot of the city, but it's this idea of her kind of imagining this mm-hmm. whole other life that she could have had. Yeah. You know? What if, if I just go right now, you know, and leave this life right. and go into the right. city and just disappear within it. Um, we all have those New York dreams. Yeah. I thought that was a very, very poignant moment moment, but yeah. I think the moment that was like really the centerpiece <laughs> for me is uh, at the guy's house, you know, when they're all fake, oh, yeah. like pretending to be his family and stuff like that. Uh, I, I just like, I'd never seen anything like it's so weird and off kilter and, tragic and funny all at the same time and Uh, also like her parents have the capacity to mimic you know the Mm. the way of being a natural family but they choose not to yeah Yeah, and that is heartbreaking about it yeah exactly yeah Yeah. like looking at her just looking at them's like oh you can do this i thought i thought this stuff was all bad and then yeah it it goes and she can say she can say call her honey you know anybody else except old dolio she Mm -hmm. that's she Mm -hmm. won't say it to her own daughter Mm-hmm. There's also like a there's also like a moment toward the end of that scene where old Dolio is like starting to really enjoy this play acting version of the family that they're doing. Yep. And she's getting really into it. And like the like even the light on her at that moment is like really golden. And then the dad realizes that the guy seems to have died. So he just suddenly turns on a dime and he's just like and then that's it. Like it's over. Yeah. They're not yeah. going to pretend anymore. And you just see like very subtly how how much that moment really crushes her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like also that scene is a really good example of what Jeff was talking about, where it's just like, this is not like a thing that would really happen. Like right. you wouldn't go to someone's house to steal their stuff. And then that person would be like, I'm trying to die here. So just like pretend to be a family. Like that would, that's not what would happen. Yeah. <laughs> but then there's like something about it that feels emotionally true. Like something about yeah. like that play acting, uh, something about like the fear, fear of like facing death. Like a lot of it feels true, even though it's not like literally true. Right. It yeah. reminds me a bit of like the vibe I was getting from what was the last uh, the Andy Kaufman movie we saw? I'm thinking of ending things, right? And whereas uh, yes, I feel like, exactly, yeah, whereas I feel Charlie like this Kaufman. movie does Charlie a much Kaufman. better job. Like, yeah. Charlie, yeah, Charlie Kaufman. Sorry, yeah. Charlie what? Kaufman. The last but Andy Kaufman movie we watched. That's, that's <laughs> a much different older movie. But I feel like the vibe of this movie is a more effective Taxi? version of of I'm thinking of ending things for me because I could never. I couldn't gel with that movie because it was so distant. And whereas here is like, I can, I can understand at least what they're emotionally getting for. And it feels like it's actually hitting in a real, in a real human way, which I never felt with, uh, I'm thinking of ending things. I like both uh, of those two- movies and I like both of those filmmakers. And one of the things that I like about them is that they both have this ability to make you feel like you're in their head, experiencing yeah, the world yeah. that they're experiencing it and able to respond to that in the way that you experience something. Mm-hmm. So oh, you're not seeing point. things that are just like, Oh, this is like, it's not like trying to be naturalistic. It's not trying to present any of this as like yeah. reality, but you're, it's trying to bring you into the subjective experience of being these people. Yeah. Dreamlike almost. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. such a great point. Uh, the, the two scenes for me that, were home runs. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of this movie has incredible moments, but my two favorite scenes were 
the first is when um, Old Dolio dances in her yep. apartment. <laughs> I burst into tears. Like watching Aww. her dance in this this bizarre, off kilter way. You know, like it, it just she was trying to exp- she was trying to do this thing, and her body just kind of didn't know what to do. And but she was all in on it, and it just yeah. completely moved me in a way that I I don't even understand why. Like it just was this human movement that I found so powerful. Because you have this this really broken character attempting to transcend that that state that she's in that this this repressed almost you know controlled state she there's she's under this control of of her parents and in, for one moment she's trying to do it in a way that she she doesn't know really what to do but she's committing to it a hundred percent it was yeah really powerful I I. I yeah. I kind of felt like she had waited her whole life to show somebody how she danced, you know, and that was the well, very she first has, moment she that's ever part of, That's yeah. one of the things on the list of things that she never yes. got to do with her parents yes. is like do a little dance. Yeah. So she and literally like has she been has waiting friends. her whole life to have like a dance yeah. with someone like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was really beautiful. Uh, and then the other scene is the, the big scene in the, the the restroom, I guess, which is, yeah, the again, hot tub such scene? a oh, boy. strange well, no, not the hot tub scene. When you're they're about locked the, uh, the into the gas station, yeah, yeah. yeah. When, they, oh, when everything one. goes okay, black okay. and she thinks yeah. the big one has happened, yeah. um, and it, it the, the movie just goes black for so long and then transitions into this this celestial image. Um, God, I just thought that was so beautiful, mm-hmm. and you know, setting it up with, I want to crawl out of the dark into the light, and oh, we can't do it here, and why she would drive her all the way out to this random restroom in the middle of the valley it's like so so weird and yet she has this completely transcendent experience there and sheds all of this stuff and then how gina rodriguez's character responds to that it's it's like it's the movie is just completely unexpected at least it was Mm -hmm. for me i yeah at, at no point did i have a handle on where it was going, but I was I was so along for that ride. And I I loved that even moment to moment, like things that are set up so beautifully always seem to result in unexpected unexpected turns. Um like her, she calls her mom in that moment or answers her mom's phone call and then her mom's like, yeah, you should turn around and look what's happening behind you. It's, it's just <laughs> such a, but it was super powerful and uh, the courage to like go black and just have the audio over that that and we see we see something magical happen in that moment. Like there is some magic there. And then that mm-hmm. spell is broken with the door opening. And for a moment, you know, we even, at least I was like, you know, I know that it's, she didn't actually just die, but maybe this movie could go there. Cause this movie could do anything <laughs> at this point, you know, yeah. it was really great. It is. And totally. I, I do feel like in some spiritual sense, like she doesn't physically die, yeah. you know, she's, obviously she's fine, yeah. but she is reborn in that scene. Like she does die a sort of death where she talks in that scene about like, she's like, Oh, you know, we're dead now, but it doesn't matter. I was never attached to life. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't care if I live or like, she kind of has this whole thing where she's explaining to Gina Rodriguez, why she doesn't care if she's that, if she dies and why it's not important to her. But then that is, but then right after that is a moment where she finally learns to start living and like to try to live this other life that she's never had a chance to even sample before. Yeah. 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 I want to follow up on one of Devendra's points about Gina Rodriguez's character, Melanie. Um, I, I did kind of feel like, huh, I, I wanted a little bit more backstory there because yeah, me uh, too. I, I, did, I did think it was just 
I, I, on a on a fundamental level, I wasn't a hundred percent sure what the show, what the movie was trying to right, convey right, to me right. about her mother, because uh, mm-hmm. she has this relationship with her mother where like she has these kind of dead eyes as she's like facetiming with her, and I'm just like, is it just that her mother's like boring or smothering? You know, like yeah. um, Angie, did you have a take on like what was going on there? I think it's just like a weird contrast to the relationship that old Dulio has with her parents where they are so distant and so cold and they, you know, like don't really treat her with any affection. Whereas it seemed like Gina Rodriguez, part of what kind of breaks her heart about her own relationship with her mother is that her mother is kind of just over nurturing almost. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's just, I don't know. I I, I don't have like a very coherent, like I'm not going to write a thesis on it right now or anything. We have two, like one and a half phone calls to go on basically. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But like the the tone that she adopts when she talks to her mom, there's like this like kind of uh, like it's softness to it, but in a sad way. Like she's not just, it doesn't, she didn't seem like someone who's just like, oh, my mom's calling, how annoying. And she didn't seem like she was like mad or just sad. It seemed like she felt some tenderness toward her mom, but there was also some kind of like bittersweetness there and i found that to be interesting and i mean it's I, I think because so much of the movie is about parenting it made sense to show a few different ways that it can go and also that you know her mom sounds like a really nice mom but it doesn't mean it's that fine. their relationship yeah. is you know perfect <laughs> and, and when i'm asking for more it's more like well so is her mom is her mom the sort of thing like i i was almost imagining like oh she she is actually the person she is now the caretaker for this woman in a way and her mom is is this you know weight bringing her down but the movie doesn't give us enough to really to really go into that um the more we talk about this thing like the more i think incredible so many of the individual scenes are um because i brought up the uh the hot tub thing in the bathroom which i think is such a great moment a great moment for melanie too for gina rodriguez's character because it's really where she comes into her own because up until that point in the movie she's just like oh i'm you guys seem weird. Like you guys are up to some shit. I'm going to, I'll follow along with you. I guess this is cool. And she definitely speaks up when they start to take advantage of her kindness and her, like she, she really does stand up for herself. And I appreciate that. But in the hot tub scene, he's just like, Oh, this is the full transaction that Richard Jenkins and Deborah Winger were really planning because everything in their life is just a goddamn transaction. That's how it is. And that's how they view love with their daughter, too. So, yeah, of course, all, the, all they want to do is have sex with this very beautiful young lady. And that's the I only actually, reason they've been nice to her. I completely interpreted that scene differently. Mm-hmm. I, I My interpretation, because right before that scene, she says, do you want me to do it? Uh, or yeah, it's yeah. time, right? Do you want me to do it? And my, my interpretation was that was them burning the con. Right. Mm-hmm. That's when you, yeah. bur- you, you know, you burn your identity. You, you make sure that mm. that person is going to leave of their own accord and is never coming back. And I got what I thought was happening was literally like this was their plan to make sure this person thinks it's their idea right, to right. leave the, the team up and never, ever come back. Like I never got the sense that they actually wanted to have sex with her, that it was just this extreme thing that they were doing to make sure that this wow. was over, like it's time huh. to cut uh, ties. But I don't know I, about like, if yeah, the movie gave me more, Jeff. Uh, I totally would have gotten that. But you look at Richard Jenkins in that scene, and that is a guy like mm, he is a he is very sauced up. Like he is ready to party. 
Yeah. I had a different interpretation than either of you, which is that I was oh, mostly wow. focused on the way that Melanie, Gina Rodriguez's yes. character, was reacting. And to me, it seemed like a scene where the whole reason that she got into this situation with this family is because she was like, you know, I have a really normal, boring life, but I this is going to be something different. It's going to be something mm-hmm. exciting and beautiful and cool. And then it just turns out to be the most freaking yes. mundane thing. Just like of this old this. dude. Hating yeah. on her. Yeah, it, it was just like it, like she just she just the resignation on her face when she realizes what he's asking is just like and she's like yeah. this is the You're least so surprise boring. I've ever been in my life. She's like I thought yeah. this was going to be something beautiful and transcendent and extraordinary, and instead it has turned out to be just more of the same. Like guys hit yes. on me all the time. This is not interesting, and that's why. And that it's so so I think you need that to set up later how special it is to her when she does make a real connection with old Dolio later on. That's not just mm-hmm. based on some dude thinking that she looks hot in tight clothes. Mm. Uh, Let's talk about the ending. Uh, I thought the ending was actually really great. I mean, not necessarily the final, final scene, but the, just the, the stuff leading up to it with trying to figure out if her parents are trying, are conning them basically. Yes. And they had a whole conversation about the money in the wall and like, okay, if the money's there, that means this. And if it's not there, it means this, you know, and there's this whole like, build up as to what's actually going on yeah i didn't really understand that though because like the parents didn't know the money was in the wall i guess they the idea would be they would have searched everywhere but yeah sure. like yeah. They, that they yeah. would know yeah. as thieves right like yeah i, I think you can everybody kind of assume, everybody for the sake of the movies the box yeah right yeah. Yeah. For, for the sake of the movie's logic you can kind of assume i think that like the parents would know where to find the money yeah. and or they're not good at it, many things but they are good at <laughs> criming you know yeah, or at least criming. small criming yeah but i right. but i like that it ends with like them actually finding like a real connection you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um and that's really what old dolio has been looking for for the entire film and so yeah. i do find a lot of beauty in that and and it happens in such a mundane place too mm-hmm. in the uh <laughs> refund line at, at uh, target at the, unbranded at the, target. At the target yeah, yeah. Well, the, yeah. The, the, that whole like everything adds up to the exact amount thing was i thought so cool i thought that was just a really interesting flourish um yeah mm-hmm. um, and it adds something a little bit odd to your well it like you know it, i feel like it's it's emphasizing because they set up earlier like you know if it, like this is the exact amount that is my share if they leave this share then it means that like they might care about me but they can't change or something like that yeah And then they do leave her with that exact amount. And not only that, like it's like they clearly they it's set up that she's going to return it because as soon as their parents meet her in the restaurant, give her the necklace, they're like, it's returnable. So it's basically Mm. a weird roundabout way of the parents giving her her share. And then in that in that process, I think expressing exactly how she interpreted it, which is they do care about her on some level, but they just they can't change. This is who they are. And that's just how the relationship is always going to be with them. Yeah. yeah, I love. And there's something. There's something kind of universal. That, the mm-hmm. There's something universal about that. You know, like um, not everyone has a great relationship with their parents. You know, and right. um, for some for some people, it's like the, you can sense that there is love there, there is care there, but that sometimes like parents can't help themselves. They can't help but be who they are. People can't help but be who they are sometimes. And this is a movie that kind of brings that out in a really vivid way. Sorry, Devin, I interrupt you. Go ahead. No, it's okay. Um, I think I love every scene leading up to the ending, too, because the dinner sequence, too, is just like, first of all, seeing Odolio in in like semi-fancy-ish clothes and seeing her try to, you know, pull that off, I think is just really fun. But Richard Jenkins is just given like Oscar-worthy shit there, even though that is a point where he is just, he's just really nailing the con in. But also, you could tell he... He does kind of feel what he's saying, but he doesn't know how else to express it other than 
robbing her and Melanie blind, you know, and just leaving them with that. The reveal, the morning after reveal, I think is just stunning. Just walking out to an absolutely empty apartment. Like it's every a gut punch. There were it's gaps a gut in punch. my theater. Yeah. 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 It's striking. It's striking. Yeah. So great moment um, in a movie that has a lot of great moments. Any- I'm really surprised, honestly, that all of us loved it because yeah. I, I don't think it's a movie that will have universal appeal. Let's put it no, that no, way. No, no. I, but I, I, I mean, I'm really glad that all of you enjoyed it as much as I did, because I, I just thought it was so special, such a different, unique movie and uh, worth worth more people paying attention to, I think. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Well, hopefully they will after listening to our review of it. All right. I think that is going to bring us to the end of our review. You can find more episodes of the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Hillinger. Our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. And this episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Stay tuned to your we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Angie Han. Where can people yes. find more of your work on the internet if they are looking for it? They can find my writing at Mashable.com. They can find me on Twitter at AJHAN. And about once a month, they can hear me talk about movies at KPCC's Film Week. Always a delight to have you on, Angie. Uh, great to talk to you about this movie. And we appreciate you joining us this evening. Thank you for having me. It is always fun to be on with you guys. All right. Uh, so next week... Assuming we have this right, <laughs> assuming we have not completely messed up the release Is date the of release this, but I'm pretty correct. sure. I'm pretty sure it's right, that, Dave. I don't I'm understand. I'm pretty sure it's right. I'm pretty sure it's right. Uh, the Nest is the movie we'll be reviewing next week. That's Sean Durkin's newest film. Sean Durkin, his the, follow-up to Martha Marcy May Marlene. Like what? Brilliant film. Uh, yeah. Brilliant film. Yeah. Um, so I am looking forward to seeing what the Nest is like. That's going to be mm-hmm. on tap. Next week on uh, the Slash Filmcast. And of course, coming up uh, later this week, an After Dark about the launch of the new consoles, the PlayStation 5, as well as the Xbox Series X. Stay tuned for that. Uh, Patrons will get that first at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Bye.